we do thank you for that. Just Lord, that we have a God to whom we can come and to and we can pray. And Lord, it's not just a place for us to kind of come and vent our problems, but Lord, we have a God who hears and a God who answers and meets us in our crisis. We rejoice tonight with Carlos and Carmen and Andrew, the family here tonight, Lord, having heard the prayers and having restored Carlos to a place where he can join us here and be in church and fellowship tonight. We pray for a continued blessing, continued healing and recovery. And Father, we want to lift up our dear Pastor Barney to you, Lord. He is uh, someone who is a joy and a blessing here, him and his wife in this fellowship, and he's Uh, very dear to our hearts. And God, I pray that you would touch him. Uh, He's been suffering from vertigo, Lord. They're not sure what's causing it. But Lord, I pray that you would touch him. We're thankful that it's nothing serious and that he is, well, nothing seemingly serious, Lord. But we do pray, God, that you would continue to restore him and touch him as well and bring him here safely with us tonight that uh, we might embrace him again, Lord, and just continue to strengthen him and continue to give him the grace that he needs, Lord, to do his work, his ministry, and we pray your blessing upon him. Father, we also ask tonight that you would speak to us as we look together at the word of God. We ask that you would give us ears to hear what you desire to say. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you, please open them up with me to the book of Numbers, chapter 7. Numbers, I hope to look tonight at chapters 7 and 8. There is a biblical principle, and it's a principle that comes through um, numerous places in the Scripture. And it's interesting, there's this phrase that's kind of been coined, where God guides, God provides. Sister Elaine, is that you back in fellowship too? All right. (laughs) All right. Sorry about that. Elena, our, uh, our children's ministry director, has been out of town uh, for on, on work-related things back on the East Coast for uh, weeks and weeks. So uh, we're blessed to see her back in fellowship tonight. Praise the Lord. Um, I think it's Pastor Chuck that coined this phrase where God guides, God provides. And the, the simple understanding is really the best understanding that when God is in something, when God is in a work, when God is in a ministry... When God is directing and leading your life, uh, when God guides, he also provides. And that's a great blessing that we do not have to kind of self-support ministry, that we don't have to self-support really anything that God would ultimately call us to do. If God is leading you, if God is guiding you, if it's the Spirit of God, then you can be confident that he will provide all the resource that is necessary to accomplish what he's leading you to do, what he's guiding you to do. And that's not always you know, seen from the, from the front end. Sometimes we have to take steps of faith, and then the provision comes along the way. Often that's the case. We like to have all the resources just kind of ready before we arrive, but typically God doesn't work that way. He's looking for us to partner with him through faith wanting us to trust Him, wanting us to be dependent on Him, looking to Him, leaning to Him, crying out to Him, lest we become independent of Him and then get into all kinds of trouble. So it's good that God keeps it that way. If we were self-sufficient or if we imagined that we were, think of all the trouble that we would get ourselves into, and some of us have. So, But when God is in the work, when God is leading us and providing, he's going to bring the support, he's going to bring the, the provision that's needed. That's what we'll see here, I believe, in Numbers 7 and 8. We're going to see that God is going to provide the resources through the offerings of the people to support the ministry of the priesthood and the work there of the tabernacle. And then we will also see in chapter 8 that God is going to pr- be providing all of the workers, the ministers, that are needed for the support of the work. So with that in mind, let's take a look first here at chapter 7, and we begin to see these offerings that are coming in now for the work of of serving at the tabernacle. Remember, the children of Israel are out in the wilderness, and uh, the tabernacle and the priesthood have recently been instituted, and now we see this offering. 
This is a long chapter. We will not take the time to read each and every verse. I'll summarize some of this for you as some of it is repetitive. But let's at least look at the first nine verses here together. Follow with me. Now it came to pass when Moses had finished setting up the tabernacle that he anointed it and consecrated it and all its furnishings and the altar and all its utensils. So he anointed them and consecrated them. And then the leaders of Israel, the heads of the father's houses, who were the leaders of the tribes and over those who were numbered, made an offering. And they brought their offering before the Lord, six covered carts and twelve oxen, a cart for every two of the leaders and for each one an ox. And they presented them before the tabernacle. And then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Accept these from them, that they may be used in doing the work of the tabernacle of meeting. And you shall give them to the Levites, to every man according to his service. So Moses took the carts and the oxen and gave them to the Levites. Two carts and four oxen he gave to the sons of Gershon, according to their service. And four carts and eight oxen he gave to the sons of Merari, according to their service, under the authority of Ithamar, the son of Aaron, the priest. But to the sons of Kohath he gave none, because theirs was the service of the holy things, which they carried on their shoulders. So Moses has now dedicated the tabernacle, and the leaders of the nation have come together and have agreed that they want to present an offering for this work of the tabernacle. The tabernacle, remember, was to be portable. They were out encamped in the wilderness, and God was going to have them on the move. They were going, needing to be portable. Now, the tabernacle was quite a setup. When you had to set up camp, and we've looked at some of those details in chapters in the past, uh, the tent and the, you know, the whole kind of setting up tabernacle there, the presence of God, the ark and the holy of holies and everything set up for the worship of God within the camp. But when they had to pack and move, it was a big project. It's not something Aaron and just the priests could do on their own. They would need many of the Levites to help. And the leaders of Israel, they kind of practically consider, let's give this, this group that's, uh, serving Uh, an offering will give them ox and carts so that they can pack and actually be mobile when the Lord directs us to move. So it's a free will offering. There's no requirement of this. God had had not given this prescription in the law. This is just something that's coming up in the hearts of the leaders. It's above their normal tithes and offerings that they were already giving. This is just something that God put in their heart and they wanted to do for the Lord. But it's a very practical offering. It's to assist the the Levites in their ministry. And it says something of their hearts at this time. It says that the presence of God in their midst was of value and priority to them. They were thinking about having that tabernacle at the center of their camp. You know how it is sometimes our lives get so busy and distracted about everything else that's going on that we sometimes forget the priority, really, having God's presence in our lives. And so this is a really kind of a, it's a practical offering to help the ministry, but it's also speaking something of their heart. They value God's presence, and they want to give something that would actually practically assist that presence remaining close to them, even as the Lord would lead them and as they would move. And we see that they gave it to the leadership. It was given to Moses to, to disperse. And the Lord spoke to Moses, and God said, you know, receive this. This is a good thing, and give it out according to the service needed by each of the duties that had been already prescribed, according to the needs of each ministry. The heavier work, those who carried the larger portions of the tabernacle, they were given the majority of the cart and oxen. And then there were some who carried lighter items. They were also given cart and items. But then there were those who were to carry the holy things. And they had been given already instruction that exactly how they were to carry and transport. This would be the Ark of the Covenant. This would be those holy items that were used within the temple itself, within the tabernacle itself. 
They did not give them a cart because they were not to transport it by cart. They were actually supposed to carry it upon their shoulders. You may remember, it's a passage, uh, it's recorded for us actually a couple places in the scripture. But I'll give you the background. You, You remember when David desired to bring the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. The Ark had been captured by the Philistines in wars prior. And uh, the Ark caused problems in the camp of the Philistines, so much so that they wanted to get rid of the Ark. And they set it on a cart and just kind of let oxen take it away from them. And, you know, wherever it goes, if it comes back to us, we'll know that these troubles we've been having were just kind of a fluke. But if it turns, if the oxen turns directly towards the, you know, the nation of Israel back to its homeland, then we'll know God is judging us for holding on to this ark and we'll, we'll send it back to them. Well, of course, it did come back to Israel. And it ended up in a place uh, where some of the men who received it made the mistake of opening it up and looking into the ark. That was Beth Shemesh, 50,070 men died for their curiosity of looking within the ark. This was a holy thing, and especially among the people of God. These men knew better, but they took it upon themselves. And then from there, it was taken to a man by the name of Abinadab, to his house. And they then consecrated Eleazar to keep the ark. And it had been there for some time, and now David has it in his heart to bring the ark back to the center of worship, to bring it to Jerusalem. And so he sends out a team to pick it up. He goes with them, quite a bit of fanfare, and you may remember this story. They're bringing it in on the cart, and the cart kind of rocks. One of the oxen stumbles, and Uzzah reaches out, a man named Uzzah, he reaches out to steady the ark because it's kind of getting, you know, uh, possibly falling off the cart. And he laid his hand on the ark, and the Lord struck him dead. And so then everybody was just afraid to even touch the ark. David was actually very frustrated and upset. How am I going to bring the ark to Jerusalem? We can't even touch the thing. And then he remembered, maybe I should go back to the word and look and see the prescribed manner that God had given instruction concerning the ark. This was not just some uh, museum piece. This was not just some artifact This represented the very presence of God amongst his people. It was to be treated as something very precious, as something very holy. We sang it tonight, holy, holy, holy. God is to be reverenced in the heart of his people. God is to be viewed holy. And so David goes back now, further instructed, and he later does bring the ark to Jerusalem 1 Corinthians 15, verse 15, tells us that the children of the Levites bore the ark of God on their shoulders by its poles as Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. So this not putting the ark on a cart uh, may have seemed like a little extra work for the priests that had to carry it, but it was the manner in which God had prescribed the Ark of the Covenant, and the other holy items to be, to be carried. And this would come to haunt David many, many years later because he forgot some of these instructions that God had given concerning the Ark of the Covenant. His presence is to be treated very holy, very precious. Well, uh, from there, after this offering that the, that the uh, leaders bring, uh, they now come to the dedicating of the altar after it was anointed. So they bring this practical, the leaders, they come and they bring this practical uh, offering of helping to transport the cart. And then we move on, verses 10 through 88. And we again, this is where we will uh, just do some summary. We'll look at verses 10 through 17. This now goes into another offering concerning the dedication of the altar at the time that it was anointed. So now pick it up with me in verse 10. Now the leaders offered the dedication offering for the altar when it was anointed. So the leaders offered their offering before the altar. For the Lord said to Moses, they shall offer their offering one leader each day for the dedication of the altar. And the one who offered his offering on the first day was Nashon, the son of Abinadab from the tribe of Judah. His offering was one silver platter 
the weight of which was 130 shekels and one silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering, one gold pan of 10 shekels full of incense, one young bull, one ram, one male lamb in its first year as a burnt offering, one kid of the goats as a sin offering. And for the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five five male lambs in their first year, this was the offering of Nashon, the son of Abinadab. So that's the first day. The tribe of Judah comes and they make this very specific offering. And each of the following days for all 12 tribes. So this would be, you know, you've heard of the 12 days of Christmas. Remember that old, that song, you know, a partridge in a pear tree. Well, this is the 12 days of dedication offering. Each leader representing each one of the tribes would come and present this offering one each day. And they would offer actually the exact same offering every single day. This were, these would be, again, things that would be practical for the actual service within the tabernacle. Much of these items are the things that they are going to be using now in the daily business of the tabernacle. And so they are kind of giving it all of the initial resources necessary to start the priesthood in their midst. And the, the author, which we know as Moses, he takes the time, and, and we might ask ourselves, you know, why... Why so much attention here to detail? I mean, he spells out every little you know, portion, every weight of every piece of offering, and he does that 12 times. I mean, it cruises all the way through verse 88, and it's basically saying almost, you can read it, the names change of, of each offering, who's giving the offering each day, but the offerings are identical. And you have to kind of wonder, why didn't he just say, you know, and the, and the rest of them gave the same each and every day. But he goes through very specifically and gives each detail. Uh, and again, like I said, we won't actually take the time to read it, but it's all there through verse 88. And my thought is this, you know, part of the reason I think that, that Moses took the time, of course, he was instructed by the Lord. But I think that God wanted us, and I think God wanted his nation and his people who would, who would read this as their history. He wanted to capture, I think, the overwhelming outflow of participation by each and every tribe. God wanted Moses to take the time and spell out the detail. He wanted this in the recorded history of the nation that this was a time when each and every tribe took their time and prepared their offering very generously. Their heart was in it. They were giving very, uh, not only generously, but very uh, with a desire, a cheerful giving. This was something of a celebration at the time of dedication, freely, generously, and unitedly. Each and every tribe participated in this offering. And again, this, this detail gives us an understanding that, you know, this really was something of a national event. This was a people who were all coming together to commit their hearts to the Lord, and they're expressing it through this offering of the dedication. This altar, of course, would be the place of sacrifice and offering for sin. This would be the place that represented really the, the, the place where God would cleanse and forgive them and make available this relationship of peace with them as his people. Again, the blessing of having God in their midst and in enjoying this relationship of peace with him. It speaks of how valuable it was in the heart of the people. But I think it also speaks of how valuable it was in the heart of God. Not that God needs our resource, but God is looking for hearts that are generous in their resource. God is looking for hearts who make him a priority, hearts that want, that want to be a part of, of having him in their lives, having him in, amongst them as a people, making God's presence, making the ministry of the tabernacle something of a priority. And I think God values that. God notices each 
and every gift. And so each name is listed. God wants this recorded in the history. You know, there would be times, even in the New Testament, where certain incidents that might have otherwise gone unnoticed, God made sure that they were included for us in the testimony even of the Gospels so that we might notice what this one individual did out of the generosity of their heart and that it would speak to us and that we would understand that God notices each and every gift. What about the woman who gave the two mites, remember? Jesus was watching the offerings as they were coming in. He was there at the temple sitting with his disciples And many wealthy people were coming and giving their offering at the temple. But then this poor woman came and gave two mites, less than two cents. But Jesus noticed her. And Jesus called attention to to her, to his disciples, and said, you know, do you see that woman who just gave? She has given more than all the others. Not because of the amount, but because she gave all that she had. Jesus saw something of the heart. Jesus saw something of the, of the step of faith to give all that she had to the Lord. The others, they've given out of the abundance. They've given the, the leftovers, the kind of the excess. She's given all that she had. You know, that's something that you know, we wouldn't know about that except that God noticed, except that Jesus saw it and made it to be recorded for us in the Gospels. That that woman, I mean, don't you want to meet her someday? Don't you want to kind of say, you know, did you have any idea when you were giving those two mites that you would be an encouragement to the church for thousands of years to come? What about the sinful woman who came and offered, you know, wept at the feet of Jesus? What about Mary who poured out that offering of that fragrant oil at the feet of Jesus, anointing him? Some of these little incidents in the life of Jesus, you know, John said that Jesus did all kinds of things that we didn't record. So we have to be mindful of what things did get recorded. And God recorded these these seeming kind of, you know, insignificant events, but they're not insignificant because God sees the heart. And he sees that this person was giving out of the generosity, out of the sincerity, out of their love and devotion. And that's my sense here that God wants, the people are giving out of their, their hearts for God. They've just, they've come out of Egypt. God has delivered them out of slavery. God has now made covenant with them. I'm going to live in the midst of your camp. You're going to be my people. I'm going to be your God. We saw last week, remember, God instructed the priest to bless the people. And may the grace of God shine upon you. May his countenance be, be upon you. God's blessing is on the people, and they are responding to that. And that's really what giving is about. Giving is not to be something that's motivated by guilt. Giving is not something that's to be done, you know, out of some sense of drudgery and duty and obligation. Giving is to be a response to a God who has given so much to you. Giving is something that is in response to the goodness of God. That's why Paul said God's looking for a cheerful giver. What kind of giver is cheerful? A giver who is blessed by God, a giver who understands how good God has been. And now I have this privilege, really, an opportunity to to give something back to the Lord, to, to sow into the work of the Lord, to be a partner with God in his work upon the earth. You know that God doesn't need our offerings. God doesn't need our money. My goodness, if, God, if, if we need to support God, we're in trouble. I need his support. How about you? No, we don't need to support him, but we have this opportunity to partner with him. He allows us to give to the work because in so doing, we are able to express our thanks. We're able to be uh, kind of co-workers with the grace of God. It is a great privilege. Each gift, notice, look with me, verse 89, the Lord speaks. And and really, this is something of the Lord's endorsement on this entire process of offering. So you jump ahead now, as I mentioned, you see it, 12 days of this offering going on. And then verse 89, now, when Moses went into the tabernacle of meeting to speak with him, he heard the voice of one speaking to him from above the mercy seat. 
and was on the ark of the testimony. That was on the ark of the testimony. From between the two cherubim, thus he spoke to him. It's almost as if the Lord is endorsing this moment. After this offering, after these 12 days of the people giving generously, faithfully, unitedly, that Moses, this time when he goes into the tabernacle, he hears the audible voice of God speaking to him from the mercy seat, that which was on the, on the Ark of the Covenant where the two cherubim were. Now, it's almost as, as if God is saying, I'm pleased with this. Not because I need the resource, but because I'm pleased with the hearts of the people who are willing to give of their resource in appreciation for the relationship that I've made available for them. God almost kind of blessing that event. Reminds me of Solomon. Remember when he dedicated the temple and all the priests and the, and the Levites were there. And it was quite a big day. And, and I think this was some 12 days of offering at the, this dedication of the altar. This was something of a, of a celebration, a ceremony. And so Solomon, when he was preparing to dedicate the temple, after years of building it, and, and many years before that, his father David preparing for the building of it. On the day that comes the dedication, this worship and this praise rises up. The musicians are playing, the trumpets are blowing, the cymbals are going, and the people are saying, his, He is good and His mercy endures forever. This, this chorus of worship going up and all the people there dedicating the temple. And the, and the scripture says that the glory cloud of God descended. Again, God endorsing that moment. God saying, I am in the midst of this. The cloud so thick that the priests couldn't even see to minister. The presence of God being visibly seen in the dedicating of that temple. God does not need these things. But God is blessed by these things. God is looking at the heart of those who are responding to him with what you have, with who you are, with your worship, with your resource, with your time, with your life. God's not looking to demand these things from us. God doesn't want somebody that, you know, resentfully has to kind of come and, and, and respond to him. Some chore, you know, like you got to come and clock in. Oh, time to serve the Lord, man. What time do I get off? You know. No, God is looking for hearts that are just saying, Lord, I love you. You've been good to me. Whatever. Lord, I'm yours. I belong to you. You are mine. I am yours. To have you in my life, to have you in, in our midst, to know your presence is here. When we worship together, doesn't the Scripture say that, that if you'll come and draw close to me, I will draw close to you? Doesn't the Scripture say that if even two or more would gather together in my name, there I am in their midst? That should be incentive for us to gather in his name and to worship him, to honor him, to draw close to him. That's what I think was going on when Solomon dedicated. That's what I think is happening here. The people are worshiping God. They're doing it through their giving. The case of the temple, they did it through their giving and their singing and their praising. And God is blessing those moments. God is saying, I am there with you in those instances and God endorsing it with this manifestation of his audible voice to Moses when he goes in to the temple. Just a few principles, and I've kind of covered them, but some things to think about concerning giving. I do believe that the gifts flowed in response to his blessing, not to, war, not to somehow um, earn his blessing. Now, giving to God to try to get something from God is something of an insincere motive. It's been, un unfortunately, that, that idea, I think, has been uh, misrepresented in Christian circles. Some of the TV versions of giving have been kind of, I, I think, cheapened to that. If you're in need, give to my ministry and then you'll be blessed. You want more, you need more, you've got to give me more. Send more to my name, send more to my ministry. And that idea of trying to, uh, trying to touch the, the greed or the fear of the listener, oh, I got to give. I don't have it, but I got to give because I can't get from God unless I give. And you know, somehow we're going to barter with God. Now there are times when when God may call you to give and even give sacrificially. 
But you're not doing it to, to try and earn something from God. Your giving to God should be a response to the grace of God in your life. And any giving that you do sacrificially should be done in faith. I believe that the Lord wants me to do this. And I'm doing it because I know that God's going to take care of me. He always has. He always will. The scripture says that he gives seed for the sowing. God is the one that will provide. God is the one that has provided. Everything that you and I have has been given to us by the Lord. Really, he owns everything. We're just stewards. Oh, no, I earned that. I worked hard for it. It's mine. Well, how much of it do you think you'll take with you when you die? Not much. I think I heard this. There are no U-Haul trailers behind the hearsts, right? (laughs) You don't get to take any of it with you. We're just stewards. God entrusts a certain amount of resource into your hands for a certain amount of time. It comes from him and he expects us to use it wisely. Of course, he gives it to us to provide for us, to bless us, to bless our family, to provide for our households. There's nothing wrong with that and for our pleasure and enjoyment, but not for some greedy, possessive kind of stingy heart. That's not the spirit of God. God wants us to be like our Father, and He's very generous. He's very giving. And so we should be in our hearts as well. As I mentioned earlier, God does not need our giving, and so we should not ever feel motivated to give from guilt, but rather in response to His grace. God loves a cheerful giver. But there is a certain sense of value that is attached to our resource. It is a way of kind of setting priorities. And that's what Jesus, I think, was getting at with that woman who gave the two mites. It it wasn't a lot in terms of its amount, but it was a lot to her. It said something about the priority of her heart. It said something about her confidence that God would ultimately take it. She gave everything she had, and she didn't have much, but she gave it to the Lord, knowing that ultimately he would provide for her. And I think that captures the essence of giving. It's done cheerfully. It's done because God's work, God's kingdom is important. It's of value to us. And so they gave. They gave to assist the ministers. They gave to provide the needs of the ministry. And God does provide. God is faithful to provide. We don't support him. He supports us. Chapter 8, not only is there this God's providing of these offerings through the giving of his people, he also is going to provide ministers, people to serve and do the work. And that's what we'll pick up here in chapter 8. First, God gives some instruction on how to place the lamps within the temple. And then he's going to go on and give instruction on preparing the Levites for their ministry. But look here, the first four verses of chapter 8. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and say to him, When you arrange the lamps and seven lamps shall give light in front of the lampstand. And Aaron did so. He arranged the lamps to face toward the front of the lampstand as the Lord commanded Moses. And this workmanship of the lampstand was hammered gold from its shaft to its flowers. It was hammered work. According to the pattern which the Lord had shown Moses, so he made the lampstand. And so, just kind of inserted in here, God had already given other instruction about the lamps, but now God's giving further instruction. Now, the temple is kind of being, uh, the tabernacle is really kind of being initiated, anointed, and the work is beginning. And now God wants to give this last instruction on the lamps and their placement. The lamps were to illuminate the ministry work that would go on within the tabernacle. Remember, the tabernacle was very thick curtains and kind of tent material that were that surrounded not only the Holy of Holies, but also the, the outer portion of the tabernacle. It was dark inside. There was no light. There was no natural light that came into the tabernacle. So the only light within the tabernacle, the only light wherein the the priests could see the work, uh, see what they were doing, was the light that came from the lampstands. And God gives this instruction. 
No natural light, only the light that would come from the lamps. And of course, I think that does speak to us concerning ministry. Ministry is to be illuminated by the Lord. Ministry is to be led by the Spirit, not by natural man's ideas, not by any natural light of our own. We're to be led by the Spirit. We are to be led by the light of His Word. Let God illuminate the work of ministry. Jesus Himself in John 1 and verse 4, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. So God, just giving this final instruction When you're in there, make sure that the lampstands are arranged properly to show and reveal the work for the priests to do. We pick it up now in verse 5, and we're going to see now a preparing of the Levites. Follow with me in verse 5, chapter 8. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the Levites from among the children of Israel and cleanse them ceremonially. Uh, Thus you shall do to them to cleanse them. Sprinkle water of purification on them and let them shave all their body and let them wash their clothes and so make themselves clean. Then let them take a young bull uh, with its grain offering of fine flour mixed with oil and you shall take another young bull as a sin offering and you shall bring the Levites before the tabernacle of meeting and you shall gather together the whole congregation of the children of Israel. And so you shall bring the Levites before the Lord, and the children of Israel shall lay their hands on the Levites. And Aaron shall offer the Levites before the Lord like a wave offering from the children of Israel, and they may, that they may perform the work of the Lord. Then the Levites shall lay their hands on the heads of the young bulls, and you shall uh, offer one as a sin offering, and the other as a burnt offering to the Lord to make atonement for the Levites. So God now is calling out the Levites. Now remember, Aaron was also of the tribe of Levi. But Aaron and his sons were the only ones of the Levi tribe that were called to be the priests, those that would actually do the priestly work within the tabernacle. And only the high priest would go in and offer once a year uh, in, in the very holy of holies. So Aaron, he is him, him and his family are Levites, but they have an exclusive work of the priesthood. But now God is gathering all the rest of the Levite tribe and bringing them together to now consecrate them for the work of the ministry. This is kind of a, a setting aside of these individuals that are now going to help do the work of the ministry. The priest, Aaron, and his family is not large enough to do all of the work of the tabernacle, especially when they had to start moving the tabernacle. It was just a lot of setup and takedown. Kind of reminds us of some of the things we do here at church, don't they? There's a lot of setup and takedown sometimes, just physical work that had to be done for the work of the ministry to continue. And God is now providing those workers, and he's bringing the Levites, and he's bringing all of the nation of Israel. And it's interesting, it says that they are to lay their hands on the Levites. This is something of a ceremonial dedication, and the whole nation is coming together and commissioning these, this tribe of Levi, these Levite men, to do the work of the ministry. You know, this idea of laying on of hands, this ordaining them for the work of service, We see this also symbolic uh, in the New Testament. We see a number of references of the laying on of hands. I'll have a couple for you up on the overhead. Acts chapter 13. Now this was when uh, Barnabas and Saul, also known as Paul, they were there uh, just at the church in Antioch. And in Acts 13 verse 2, it says, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, This would be the church just gathering together, ministering to the Lord. That would be worshiping, praising. That would be in an attitude of prayer, fasting, seeking the Lord. The Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. This was the church, a church in Antioch, just a local fellowship just like Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. They came together for a time of ministering to the Lord. 
may not have been that much different than maybe one of our nights of worship where we come and we just worship the Lord. We minister to the Lord in worship. And they were praying. And in this case, they were fasting as a church, just seeking the Lord. And in that environment, in that service, the Holy Spirit speaks. Whether the Holy Spirit spoke an audible voice, possibly, or most more likely, possibly, the Holy Spirit spoke through someone in the fellowship, gave a word of wisdom, a word of prophecy. And this word comes forth, set these two men aside for the work that I've called them to. They're getting ready to send Barnabas and Saul out on a missionary trip. They're getting ready to send them out to what you and I know to be Paul's missionary journey, where all these churches that he would be planting would take place. This this church is getting ready to participate in the spreading of the gospel. And it's in this moment that it, that the Holy Spirit makes it known to the church that this is what he wants to do. And so they prayed and continued to fast, and it, they laid hands on them. They, as a church, as a body of people, said, we, we acknowledge that this is what God wants to do. We want to be a part of that work, and we're commissioning you to that work, and we lay our hands on you and send you to the work. Very similar to what's happening back in Numbers. God says, bring all the Levites, have them go through their ceremonial cleansing and bring them before the people and have the people lay their hands on them. The people are saying, tribe of Levi, we agree that God has called you to this work and we are commissioning you to this work. And in the laying on of hands, they would then be supporting that tribe of Levi to perform the work. In the same way, this church in Antioch would be offering some assistance, support, help to Saul and Barnabas to go to the work. So it was a partnering of what God was doing. Though he chose these individuals, they were all involved. A few verses I'll remind you of out of Timothy, First and Second Timothy, and I believe I'll have them for you on the overhead as well. Again, this idea of laying on of hands. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.14, Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Yeah? 2 Timothy 1.6, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. 1 Timothy 5.22, Do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. So again, we see this idea of laying on of hands. Ministry is to be something that's done for the body and, in a sense, by the body. There is a common embrace that we believe this is what God has called this one to do, this group to do. And so we lay hands. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, don't you remember, we laid our hands on you. You're not just called to ministry by some notion of your own. There was a church. There was a group of people. There were elders. There were pastors. God that saw, and you, we were in agreement, and we laid our hands on you. were commissioned to the work. And that's a, that's a good thing in, in terms of ministry, that we look for confirmation, and that we have a sense of belonging to a body, not just kind of calling ourselves Undo ourselves, by ourselves. Be careful with that kind of calling, because we can deceive ourselves. But God will speak to us. God will speak first, I think, to the heart of the one he's calling, but then he will also confirm that through the work of the body, and the body then laying hands, and it becomes this partnering of the work. And he even says, don't lay hands on anyone hastily. Be careful. Oh, you think you're called to be a missionary? Sure, come here. We'll just lay hands on you and pray for you and send you. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. What was your name again? (laughs) No, not too quick. We want to get to know. We want to make sure that this is something God is sincerely doing, and that can only be learned through time and fellowship. Even the Levites are commissioned. Now, keep in mind, a lot of this work that these guys were going to be doing was just you know, packing and unpacking the tabernacle. They weren't going to be in there, you know, uh, sacrificing at the altar. They weren't going to be touching. Some of them weren't going to be touching any of the, of the holy things. I mean, you guys were just going to be packing the tent and moving it. 
This was going to be a significant part of what they did. And yet God, in any part, any work related to the work of his kingdom, it's all important. It all matters. And I think that's important for us too. It's not just the ministry that's done, you know, in front of the of others, but it's that ministry that's done sometimes without anyone else knowing. But God commissions it just the same. God wants it to be ordained and anointed of him just the same. You remember when the apostles in the early church, a dispute arose in the church. They were giving out food distribution daily to the widows. And it appeared that some there was some partiality going on. The Jewish widows were being better taken care of than the, Hel- the Greek widows. And so they brought this complaint to the apostles. Say, hey, you know, my mom's not getting the same amount as, you know, uh, the Jewish fellow's mom. I mean, the widows are not being taken care of in the same manner. We see some partiality going on here. I mean, this is just kind of serving the, the food, the waiting of the tables. And the apostles said, you know, it's not good that we come and try to do this too. We really have to be faithful with the word and with the teaching of the word. But go pick faithful men from among you, men that are full of the Holy Spirit, men that demonstrate the character of really having a a, a relationship with the Lord. Even as something as what we might think of as a menial task in the body, These guys are just going to be waiting tables, just making sure that the food gets distributed fairly to the widows. But look for spiritual men. Don't just give anybody the task. Look for men that it appears God's calling is upon their life. And it says that they brought them and they laid their hands and and put them to the work. Whatever it is you find your hand to do, do it as unto the Lord whether it's preaching or teaching a Bible study, whether it's leading worship, or whether it's cleaning the coffee pots after the service. It's all ordained of God to the work of the body and to the betterment of the body, to the work of the kingdom. And it's all noticed of God, and it's all a blessing to the heart of God. He sees it all. He knows it all. And believe me, he keeps good records Jesus said, you know, even a cup of water given in my name will not go without its reward. Serve the Lord. It's him that you serve and do it with a cheerful and joyful heart. God will provide and God will provide not only the resources, but God will provide the workers. And that's what he's doing here. Look with me, uh, verses 13 through 19. These men are now completely given to the Lord. They gather them. They lay their hands on them. They pray for them. And now pick it up in verse 13. And you shall uh, stand the Levites before Aaron and his sons and then offer them like a wave offering to the Lord. Thus you shall separate the Levites from among the children of Israel and the Levites shall be mine. I love that. These guys are going to be mine. And after that, the Levites shall go into into service, the tabernacle of meeting. So you shall cleanse them and offer them like a wave offering, for they are wholly given to me from among the children of Israel. I have taken them for myself instead of all who opened the womb, the firstborn of all the children of Israel. Now we spoke about that some chapters back, that God allowed the Levites to to actually become his in exchange for the firstborn. Originally, all the firstborn in the, in the tribe of, in the nation of Israel were to belong to him in honoring of the Passover when he spared the firstborn. But now he's saying, in exchange of the firstborn, I will receive the Levites. You remember that when we looked at that some, some uh, weeks back. Verse 16, for they are wholly given to me. I have taken them for myself. Verse 17, for all the firstborn among the children of Israel are mine, both man and beast. On the day that I struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified them. That means set them apart to myself. I have taken the Levites instead of all the firstborn of the children of Israel. And I have given the Levites as a gift to Aaron and his sons from among the children of Israel 
to do the work for the children of Israel in the tabernacle of meeting and to make atonement for the children of Israel, that there may be no plague among the children of Israel when the children of Israel come near the sanctuary. So they bring them before the Lord. They lay their hands. They commission them. And God now says, these guys now are mine. They have been given to me, separate them. I like that they are wholly given to me. I have taken them. And then look at verse 19 again. Let me just read it again. I'll have it up on the overhead for you even. And I have given the Levites as a gift to Aaron and his sons from among the children of Israel to do the work for the children of Israel in the tabernacle of meeting and to make atonement for the children of Israel that there be no plague among the children of Israel when the children of Israel come near to the sanctuary. Dedicate and give these men to me. I am now going to give them as a gift. I'm going to give these men that belong to me, I'm giving them as a gift to Aaron the priests so that they can help in the work of the tabernacle, which will become a blessing to the whole nation. This is the way God works. That which is given to God is ultimately, it comes back to us in his blessing. You can't outgive the Lord. As you give these, as these men give themselves to God and they are his, they are mine, they belong to me. And now I'm giving them as a gift for the work of the ministry. And that's the way our serving should be. First, we are dedicated and given to him. And then he gives us and dispenses us as he desires. He gives gifts to men that they might become useful in the body. We give ourselves to him and then he gives you and I as gifts one to another. As it just as it's listed here to serve in the tabernacle that it might be well with the people that there might be no plague, that there might be a steady relationship, and it's, in, it's dependent upon this faithfulness within the tabernacle. And God is providing the workers. God is providing the helpers. You know, as I think about ministry here, even in our own fellowship, I can honestly say that there are so many that I really believe are a gift, a gift to me personally in assisting my work in ministry but a gift to the church. Hearts and people that just give of themselves. They've given themselves to the Lord, and then the Lord has given them for us to enjoy. And so much of what we do enjoy as a fellowship is because of so many that serve and give themselves faithfully to the work that God's called them to do. And isn't that a blessing to all of us? Aren't we thankful that we have a place to come and fellowship? That we have a comfortable place, a, a place where we can worship together. A place where we can study God's word and pray for one another, encourage one another. Thank God for our fellowship. And it's because God has provided all that's needed. He has provided the finances through the faithful and generous giving of his people. He has provided the workers, the helpers that just are touched and, and have given themselves to the Lord. And he has given them to the church as his gift to us. What a blessing and what a beautiful cycle and a pattern of how God provides the resources necessary for his work. Where God guides, God provides. And it's a testimony to the faithfulness of God. Finally, the last few verses here. Pick it up, verse 20 through 26. The congregation obeyed and completely responded to all that God had instructed. Then Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel did to the Levites according to all that the Lord commanded Moses concerning the Levites. So the children of Israel did to them. And the Levites purified themselves and washed their clothes. Then Aaron presented them like a wave offering before the Lord. And Aaron made atonement for them to cleanse them. After that, the Levites went in to do their work in the tabernacle of meeting before Aaron and his sons. As the Lord commanded Moses concerning the Levites, so they did to them. And then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This is what pertains to the Levites. From 25 years old and above, one may enter to perform service in the work of the tabernacle of meeting. And at the age of 50 years, they must cease performing this work and shall do and shall work no more. 
They may minister with their brethren in the tabernacle of meeting to attend the needs, but they themselves shall do no work. This you shall do to the Levites regarding their duties. God then assigns duties for the Levites, gives Moses this instruction. You'll remember earlier he had said to set aside those between the ages of 30 to 50. Now he he gets a little more specific, ages 25 to 50, so... Clearly, those were 25 to 30. They would come in something of like kind of an internship. They would come in and learn from those that were serving in the ministry. And then when they became 30, they were able to serve fully. And then as they got older, once they became 50 years and older, doesn't seem so old to me anymore, but (laughs) they no longer had to do the physical work. They were still involved. They still served in the ministry but they had certain relief from some of probably the more physical work. And no doubt the elders then were able to give instruction and encouragement and assistance and mentoring and discipling of the younger. So God working all things for the betterment of, of, the, of the body, but also attention to the detail of the worker themselves. God loves the worker more than he loves the work. It's the people, it's the heart of the individual that is important. God gets his work done through people, but he cares about those that are serving him. And so they assisted. How practical the Lord provides all that is needed. I'd like to do something here as we close tonight. I want us to lay hands on and pray for all those that are serving here in this fellowship in any capacity whether you are an usher, whether you are a children ministry helper, whether you sing in the choir, whether you are a part of the sound team, the hospitality team, whatever you're doing to serve, I would like, if you are here and engaged in any kind of service in this fellowship, I would like you to stand. Now look at these gifts that the Lord has given to this fellowship. What a blessing. I want to remind you that what you do, you do unto the Lord. And I think if we've seen anything here tonight, you know that it is ordained and sanctioned by Him. And that it's, it's of value to Him. And that's all that matters. That's, that's the only real appreciation you want is to know that your Father is pleased. Aren't those the words that you want to hear? Well done, my good and faithful servant. And that's the reward for being faithful in whatever God has given you to do. I would like those of you that are seated to just kind of reach out. Let's do just as the Scriptures commanded Moses. Let's reach out. Those that you can reach them, lay your hands on them. And let's just pray and dedicate these servants to the work of the Lord. Now, if you're here tonight and you're not involved in serving, I don't want you to feel diminished in any way. Because in, you, you are part of the body too. Just being here, just being a part of the fellowship, you are bringing something to the fellowship. And I know many of you are faithful in your financial support of the work. So I'm not trying to minimize what what others are doing, but I do want to bless and call to attention here tonight because it seems to be appropriate within the Scripture. Now think of all the children ministry workers that aren't here tonight. Now those of you that have children, you need to love on those workers, I'll tell you, because they are serving unto the Lord and they're sowing into the life of your children. We're going to pray here in a minute, but wasn't it a blessing on Sunday to hear our speaker tell us how he got saved. Wasn't that incredible? Dr. Ed Heinsen said he grew up in, in uh, I think, Detroit, and uh, not really in a Christian home, and his mom heard about a VBS, and she sent him off to the VBS just to get him out of the house. And he went down to the VBS, some local church, and he heard the gospel, and he got saved. And it changed the course of his life. It changed the course of all his family. How important it is, even those ministries that's going going on into the life of our children. They're not. Some of them are not here tonight because they're watching. They're doing their ministry. So, love on them. 
Lay your hands on them and pray for them and be praying for them regularly. Some of you I know do serve and you're off tonight and you're with us and, and there are many more that are, that are not here. So we want to kind of pray for all, but let's, let me just lead us in prayer. Father, we do thank you for your grace and goodness in our lives. We thank you for how much you love us and that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for us. And Lord, it's because of that ultimate gift of salvation, that ultimate expression of love towards us, that all of our serving finds motivation. All of our giving, all of our doing, all of our serving, Lord, it is in response to a God that has been good. And so, Lord, it causes us a cheerfulness in our serving because it gives us opportunity to respond to you in a way that you would receive, in a way that you would be blessed. And so, God, tonight we lay our hands on all these that have, been, have given themselves to serve you. And we thank you that you have then given them to us as gifts, gifts to serve in this body in various ways. And so, God, I pray that you would first of all bless them, that you would bless them and fill them with your Spirit, just as those priests would, could not minister in the dark, but without the light of those lampstands. So we cannot serve in the dark apart from the light of your Spirit and your Word and your power. So fill us and illuminate us and refresh us tonight. And God, may we value one another in the work of ministry that makes our fellowship possible, that makes our fellowship fruitful, sweet, joyous, loving. All of the good things that we enjoy together are from you, Lord, as you have stirred and worked in the hearts of your people. And so bless them. And so, Lord, keep them. And, Lord, strengthen their hand to the work in which you've called them. And may they be fruitful. And, Lord, may they be faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Why don't we all stand just for a closing song of worship. I'm going to invite the worship team to come and lead us. And as they're coming, I, I do want to give uh, one final opportunity here tonight. Uh, if you are here tonight and you don't have a relationship with God, it may be that you are here just checking it out, or maybe someone's invited you, or for whatever reason you're, you're here tonight and, and you know in your own heart that you don't have this kind of relationship with the Lord that, that's being described here in numbers that we're talking about here. You know, I'd love to pray for you if you're ready to give your heart to the Lord. If you're ready to have a relationship with Him by receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, by saying, I need Jesus, I need forgiveness of my sin. This, this work at the tabernacle, it was all about the mercy of God coming to them as a people. And so God's mercy has come to you in the person of Jesus Christ and his work at the cross where he died for your sins and for mine. And he's looking for faith, that which would respond to that, that which would receive that and welcome that. If you've never experienced that, I'd love to pray for you if the Lord is drawing your heart tonight. Or maybe you're here and you need to rededicate your heart to the Lord. You've known Him and at one time may have even had a close relationship with Him. But if you were honest tonight, you would have to acknowledge that you have drifted away from Him. It happens for all kinds of reasons. Sometimes we get disappointed in the way our life is going and we blame God. Sometimes we choose our own path and rebel and just do our own thing and then we, we distance ourselves from God, turn our back on Him, run from Him, go our own way. Sometimes you get hurt. Somebody wounds you so deeply and you just you, you, you run from the Lord. And it's just a kind of a response. 
For whatever reason, and there are many, that you may be here tonight and God is speaking to you and you know who you are if this is you. It's time to come back to the Lord and you want to. You want to rededicate and recommit yourself to Him. I'd love to pray for you as well. If you're here tonight, and we're going to close in worship, but I want to say a quick prayer if you need this prayer. If you're here tonight and you need the Lord Jesus for the very first time, or you need to recommit and rededicate your heart to Him, would you just raise your hand right where you are? God bless you, ma'am. God bless you, sir. Any others? You, ma'am, as well. You, sir. God bless you. Bless you. Quite a few. Anyone else? The Lord's speaking to your heart. And you need this prayer. Just before I pray, anyone else? God bless you, man. Amen. All right, let's pray for these hearts. Lord, we do thank you. We thank you for your word tonight which comes alive when it, when it reaches our heart. We can't explain it fully, but we just know that Your Word is active and alive and it's able to touch us at the very core of our being. And there's a message tonight, Lord, that tells us and reminds us that You love us. And it speaks of Your desire to show us mercy. It speaks of your desire for a relationship with us and your commitment to be with us and to draw us close to yourself. But it comes at the price of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice at the cross. Not by anything we can do, but by what you have done. And so for those hearts that have responded, for those hands that went up tonight, Lord, I pray that you would meet them here tonight. And that their hearts would pray in in this manner, Lord, we come to you tonight and we say, forgive us and cleanse us. Oh God, we acknowledge our need for you in our life. We recognize that we are weak and that we fall short. And so we want to turn from those things and we want to turn to you. And in our heart, we're asking you to forgive us. By the blood of Jesus, wash us clean. And God, fill me again and afresh with your spirit. Draw me back to you. If, I, if it's a rededication, Lord, I'm coming back and starting again with you. Fresh, Lord, refresh my heart tonight. Cleanse us, forgive us, and then, Lord, empower us by your spirit to live for you. We love you. We thank you. We worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's close with just one song of worship here.